And so in the story, we find that the younger son had turned to his father and he said, Father, give me all of my inheritance. And what this really signified from the younger son was a hatred of the father because such a request was not even supposed to be made until the father had passed because it's the inheritance. And those of you who know what an inheritance is, you know you don't give that up until you pass. You're not supposed to receive that. And so in essence, what the younger son was saying to the father was, Father, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me what's mine. I don't want nothing to do with you. Let me go. This request is very appalling. It's very straightforward. It's very in your face from the younger son to the father. But yet the father doesn't say, no, you have to wait. He doesn't say, um, no, not, not yet. He agrees to it. And he divides his inheritance and he gives the younger son exactly what he wants. How many of y'all know we must be careful what we ask for a lot of times? Because sometimes God will give us exactly what we ask before we are ready. And so what happens is that the younger son takes it and he spends it on wild living. It says he goes to a distant land, a foreign land, where nobody knows his name, where nobody can go and tell the father what he's been doing. And he takes the money, he takes his inheritance that he's earned, and he spends it on wild living. He throws the finest parties. He has the finest musicians come and play for him. He has the finest champagne and meat and everything there. All the who's who of that nation would probably be there celebrating with him of what he was able to accomplish in his rebellion to the Father. And what he was able to do with the gift that the Father gave him. And as I was reading this passage and as I really began to contemplate on it, it began to occur to me, how many times have we seen people with God-given gifts, talents, abilities use them for the wrong purposes because what the son had in his inheritance the father had given him the evil wasn't in the inheritance the evil was on what he had used it for how many times do we have to watch famous singers such as God rest her soul Whitney Houston who had the voice of an angel just about but yet was caught up in, in the ways of the world and, and lost everything. How many times have we got to see poets such as Hemingway and, and people who are very gifted, but yet they come to the end of life and it has no meaning? Just because God gives you a gift and gives you an ability and a talent it's more than just God giving you a gift of million talent, but God gives you a responsibility to use it wisely, to use it for his glory and for his kingdom and for his purpose. And there are people whom God has given incredible talents and gifts to, but they have misused them. And that's exactly what was happening with the son. He had been given his gift. He had been given the ta his talents. He had been given the inheritance of his father. And he used it for wrong. And eventually, he runs out 
of all of his money. He spends it all when he has to go and work for a person in that nation. He says he rents himself out, he hires himself out to a foreigner in that country to feed his pigs because there was a famine in the land. He couldn't have, he didn't have the money to provide for himself. He didn't have the food he needed. In fact, he went from being the one who was probably living in, in high society to the one who was now looking at what the pigs were eating and really desiring that. He had to eat pig slop just to survive. How many of you know that Hebrews 11.25 is, is right on point when it says that there is pleasure in sin for a season? There's pleasure in sin for a season. And this younger son demonstrates this perfectly. As long as he had the money, he found pleasure in doing sin. It wasn't until sin caught up with him when he was broke that he began to suffer. There are people who we look at today who are experiencing the pleasure of their sin. They look happy. They look joyful. They look like nothing can bring them down. However, we know that the biblical law of reaping and sowing applies here. What they sow, eventually they'll reap. And that's what happens to this younger son. He sits there and he's sowing everything there into wild living and everything into that. And eventually he has to reap for it and pay the consequence for it. And he finds himself in the pig pen. Broke, busted, disgusted. No one there to really care for him. No one really there to ask him, how's your day going? Alone. Just another person who's there living, trying to make a living. And so it got so rough for him. It got so rough for him that he would be eating the pig slop and he would see how far he had fallen from his former place in his father's house. And in verse 17, we begin to see his reflection on this. He begins to say, it starts reading, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And then he devises a plan. He sees that what he has done is wrong. And so he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And so, you see, the son began to realize he had made a mistake. He begins to think of how good he had it beforehand, and even how good his father's servants were living. And he says, you know what? If I can just make it back to my father's house, if I can just make it back to be a servant... It'll be so much better than what I'm living in. In fact, Psalms 84.10 perfectly describes what he's feeling when it says that it is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. How many are all glad tonight that we deserve really to be less than servants to God, but God calls us his children, his sons and daughters. And that's exactly what's about to happen to the son because he's sitting there and all the while he's walking back home. He's walking back home. He's walking back home. 
and he's thinking to himself, I really messed up. I really, really messed up. I basically rebelled against my father. I told him how much I hated him. I told him how much I wanted what was to be mine when he was, when he was dead. Now I've got to go back and I've got to face him. What if he takes and, and slaps me across the face and spits on me and throws me out of the house? He'd be in his rights to do so. What if he takes and just has nothing to do with me? Because the son doesn't know the intention of the father yet. And so all the while, while he's walking back to the house, walking back to his father's house, he's not really knowing what to expect. But while he was still a long way off, verse 20 continues, his father saw him and is filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. When I was reading the story, it really brought me back to a point a couple years ago where I was at Lee and I was going to school there. And, and it was during the summer times. I was taking summer courses. And one afternoon, I decided, you know, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go get me something to eat, and then I'll come back to the house, and I'll, I'll study some more and get ready for the test I had that, week, that uh, last day, that Friday. And so I began to go and drive down the road where I was, and it was not flat like it is here. It was real hilly. You know, you could about not see the other side a lot of times when you go to the bottom of, of a hill and and so I was there, and it looked like one of them Grand Prix tracks, just about, with how the curves and angles were, and you could take that thing, and you could really feel it when you could just whip around in there. And uh, it had rained the day before. And me and my youngness at the time, I went too fast. I hydroplaned the car, and I found myself... About like this, and a tree was holding, holding the car up from actually going down the rest of the hill. At that moment, I found myself just in shock, and I didn't really know what to do. I just knew I had to get out the car. And at that time, luckily, there was a man there who opened the passenger side door. I was able to climb out that side. Thankfully, I wasn't hurt, and it wasn't too bad. But it just so happens that a man from, from North Cleveland, where I'd been going to church, was, was coming up that same way at about that time. And he stopped, and he's, his name was Tony. He was a big Hispanic guy from New York. He had that Brooklyn accent. I mean... Everything about him screamed a Yankees fan, if you know what I'm talking about. And so he says, here, come sit in the car with me for a little bit. 
Police were writing up the report. The tow was pulling my car out from, from the side of that hill. And I looked at him and I said, my dad's going to kill me. Because this is the second accident that I've been in in a month. Now, that's the only two accidents I've ever been in was at that time. And um, even up to today, that's still the only two. But it just so happened that was a bad month. And so uh, I looked at Tony and I said, Tony, my dad is going to kill me. I had to call him and tell him what I did to the car. I mean, he is just going to be so, so angry. Because that's all I could think about when the time was not oh, my dad wants to know I'm okay, and my dad wants to know I'm fine. All I could think about was, my dad's going to ask, well, what happened to the car? Can you still drive it? I mean, what are you doing? And right then, Tony looked at me and said, Aaron, your dad just probably wants to know you're okay. He probably, his only concern is, is that he, you're just alive, that it didn't end up worse. And he was right. I called my dad, and my dad was just thankful I was okay. And he was angry about the car a week later. But anyway, <laughs> but that's not the point. The point of the story of my story is this: is that the son went out and he did the worst he could have ever done. He had every right to sit there and, like me, be like, "My father is going to be so angry with me. He's going to be so angry with me." Whereas he didn't realize the father was just thankful that he was alive. I think there are times when we look at ourselves towards God. And we're wondering, could God ever forgive me for this? Could God ever truly accept me after what I had done here and what I have done here? And this situation and this situation. When in all reality, I'm sure the Lord's just as happy as can be realizing you have the opportunity to turn. There's so many who don't have that. There's so many who don't have that opportunity. Whenever they start doing what the younger son did to turn back to their father. And so, after the father comes and they begin to celebrate and they begin to have a party and his son's not dead, he's alive, he's back home, everything's great and marvelous. Then comes the older son onto the stage. Now, in this story, rightfully so, the younger son gets a lot of the perspective thrown on him. The younger son gets a lot of the treatment, a lot of the emphasis is placed on him. But... Let's talk about the older son for a minute. Beginning in verse 25, it reads, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has made it back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, a lot of times when we read this passage, Luke 15, 11 through 32, we tend to think that Jesus, the emphasis of that story, is Jesus talking about prodigals who need to come home, prodigals who need to come to the Father. But when we actually look back at the beginning of the passage and see who this story was focused to, it wasn't focused to prodigals. It was focused to people like the older brother. Because in the beginning of Luke 15, it says that Jesus was talking with tax collectors and sinners, but Pharisees were there, and they were beginning to say that this man welcomes sinners and tax collectors and eats with them. And when Jesus hears their mutterings, when he hears the Pharisees talking their talk, he goes into three of his parables in this passage. He goes into the shepherd who leaves the, one, who leaves the 99 sheep behind and goes after the one. And when he finds the one, he calls everyone together and he has a celebration. Then he goes into the story of the ten, woman with the ten coins and how when she had lost one of them, she swept the whole house where she was. And then when she finally found the one, she called all her neighbors together and said, I have found my lost coin. Let us celebrate and be merry. I have found it. And then Jesus hits the parable of the lost son. And the whole time, he is talking to the Pharisees. Because these Pharisees were saying some of the same things the older brother was saying. Because the Pharisees were sitting there and they were accusing Jesus. They were saying, he's eating with sinners. He's celebrating with sinners and tax collectors. He's, um, he's not really celebrating those who deserve it. And what did the older brother say as well? He said, my father's celebrating the younger son who was out there and doing everything that the world had for him, but yet I was here the whole time, living righteously, doing all these things, but yet he never celebrated me like this. And so Jesus used the older brother to address this issue because they tried to live, the Pharisees tried to live by the book as much as possible. They tried to live righteously as much as they could. A lot, and a lot of times they get a bad rap in the scripture. But truly, honestly, most of the Pharisees were very devout people who devoted their lives to living the best way they could. Knowledgeably, according to the law of Moses, of course, when it came for time for them to realize who Jesus was, they missed it entirely. Which is exactly what happened to the older brother in that passage. Because the younger son, when he was out in the world partying, living it up, he totally missed the father's heart. He totally missed what he was trying to, to do and what he was trying to say. And what following his father meant. But at the same time, while the younger son was out there doing these things, the older son was back at the house. He was tending the cattle. He was doing his chores. He was doing everything his father told him to. But yet he still missed the heart of the father. You can live right. You can live holy and righteously. You can live 
by crossing your T's, dotting your I's. You can show up to church every Sunday. You can pay your tithes regularly and on time and still miss the heart of the Father. Still miss what God has for you. Still miss what God wants to do in your life. Still miss what God wants to do through you in your community and in your church. And at that moment, sometimes Jesus has to take us aside and say, Hey, you need to get your heart right. Because I know it's great and all when you come to church every Sunday, and it's great, and you have a reward for that, because the Father tells the Son, everything I have is yours. You've done everything faithfully. But you're missing my heart in the fact that when your brother who was dead, well, let's make it personal. The prostitute out there who's dead and needs to come to Jesus, when they finally show up in here, And finally becomes a part of the family of God. And as welcome back, they were dead, but now they're living in Christ. They're on their way to hell, but now they're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost on their way to heaven. Are they deserving of less? No. Because at one point in time, we were all sinners and Christ died for us. At one point in time, we were all dead in our sin. But Christ gave himself for us. And that's what the father is trying to tell the son, this older son. He's telling him, hey, listen. Celebrate with us because my heart is not necessarily in in just maintaining the house. My heart is in bringing those into the house. My heart isn't just in keeping the family here within four walls, but my heart is to bring people in to the family of God. Lord, help us tonight. Help us tonight. So tonight, I'm I'm here to say to you tonight that the Father welcomes you with open arms. He'll run to you and he'll embrace you. You might be a sinner tonight running as far as you can from him. And truly in in this, I, I know because when I was 15, I wanted nothing to do with God. I saw what happened when when the people of God can can kind of do wrong to one another. And I wanted nothing to do with it. I remember one time when I was 15, I was like, Lord, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. But when I was 15 at a summer camp, I really didn't want to be at. I didn't really want to be there. My parents made me go. I sat through the first two nights just in my chair with my arms crossed listening to the listening to the worship and just listening to the to the speaking and just listening to everything and and it wasn't really having an impact. 
But then the third night, the the preacher, he preached this exact message on the prodigal son. And I realized at that moment that there was something more. There was something more than just what I had seen as, as far as what people in the church can do. But there's what God can do. There's what Christ can do for me. And I began to be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. He began to show me the things in, in my heart that were wrong. And at that moment, I turned to God and I said, God, if you could love me, because I felt rejected, I felt dejected, I felt like no one ever cared. But Jesus, at that moment, when I walked down to the altar, met me with open arms. And I've never felt a love like that ever since. I can say that there is not a love that compares to the love of the Father that he has for us, that Christ has for us. It amazes me every time I think about how even when I still mess up and even when I still am human in my imperfections, I think about Christ still died for me. He still loved me enough to do that. And the wonder and amazement that follows that. And so tonight, if we could stand just together. Tonight, some of us may be like I was at 15. I hope all of us in here are believers and and lovers of Jesus and just following after him with all our hearts. But I also know that I I don't know your heart, but God does. And so tonight there may be some of us in here who say, I need to come to the Father. I need to come and, and Jesus come and, and cleanse me, make me whole, purify me. I need to know what it's like to come to his house and him love me and run to me and put his robe on me and, and put his ring on my finger and, and him come and, and realize that I'm the greatest treasure that he has. Some of us need that tonight. Some of us tonight may be like the older brother. We may be here and we may need God to work on us. Because we may have been in the church. We may have been doing everything we needed to do. But maybe we're missing it. And maybe we need to get reconnected to the heart of the Father. And can I be honest, I need that every day. Lord, draw me closer to you every day. Make me more like you every day. And some of us tonight, we may be just like right there in a good relationship where we we realize what, what God's heart is. But yet we may just need to come and sit at his feet again. Come and just sit at his feet and, and feel the love of God again to us. I can't count the number of times in my life where I've, 
I've realized that, Lord, I know your purpose and I know your plan, but, Lord, I just need to feel your love and to know you're there. So I'm here to tell you not regardless of where you fall on this, God is waiting here for you. The Father is waiting here for you. And so if we could tonight, let's just come forward to the altar together. And let us come and let us have this our time with the Father. Lord, I pray, God, you will come and fill our hearts tonight.